this morning. Uh, I'm going to surrender something this morning. Something big. And maybe it'll teach you how to surrender something too. But for me, the thing I want to surrender today is the right to be understood. The right to be understood. When we come to know Christ... And as we grow deeper in our understanding of who he is in us and our oneness with him, we surrender, we yield, we live from a place of brokenness, not kaput, brokenness, which means um, it's a constant yielding. It's giving up our rights to control everything. And this morning, I want to surrender the right to be understood because the topic I'm going to cover is sorely misunderstood. And somebody in video land watching live or seeing this later, I'm going to put this out there for now. Nobody's allowed to complain about this topic until they've heard both, both parts, parts one and two. So this Sunday and next Sunday. If you have a complaint, even from the post I, I put up there, what this is about, too bad. Shut up. I don't want to hear it. Okay? Like, really. Because what ends up happening, people read a little blurb. Oh, I'm going to judge that. And they post right away. It's like, quit it. I'm just going to delete it. This topic is way too important and too exciting. And I don't want it to be misunderstood. And I look back, and the last time I taught on this, yeek, it's like three, four years ago. Like, that's a long time to cover the topic that I'm going to be talking about. Isn't everybody excited about today? And if I warned you I was going to be talking about it, you wouldn't have come. (laughs) Who knows? Well, here's why. Here's what I'm talking about today. Because we're having a church family meeting, And for some people, this is family. For some, you don't know what family means, and you haven't got all the connections yet. It doesn't quite feel like a family. And some people are saying, this is not a family. This is just a group I I see on Sundays, and that's it. Well, I want us to see Hope Fellowship, this location, as a unique family. I'm also going to address the small groups that happen around the world. There are grace groups. There are people that are doing house churches, um, they're, they, fact, they, they reacted to the local body of, of a, called a church, let's say, and they've reacted and out of disgruntledness and distaste or out of the need to separate themselves from a legalistic thing, they've formed a new group. These, this topic is critical for everybody. Every single small group, church, charity, uh, organization needs to deal with this subject and deal with it well. So I'm going to really, really hope, and I'm going to have a lot of rabbit trails. Look, a squirrel, all the time through this. It's going to happen because I want you to catch it, and hopefully I can read your mind of what you could be thinking. Yeah, well, what about this? What about that? But this topic is that critical. We've not addressed it here in the church. And I'm not teaching this in order to get money, okay? That's not what this is for. This is about knowing your true identity as a believer and what it's to look like. This is called the natural overflow. In fact, I used to teach uh, the five purposes of the church. Do you remember that? You know, worship, evangelism, discipleship, uh, fellowship, and whatever the last one was, service. Um, but I taught all those as the things you must do to prove you are a maturing believer. Guess what? The five purposes of the church are not purposes of the church. Those are the five functions, okay? When we make them purposes, we make them the top thing. Here's what we're supposed to do. Well, the only thing I'm going to tell you to do is abide. To abide, to yield, to surrender. Because those five things have value. In fact, I put it off in the back burner for a long time because I 
pursued them as a, a legalistic lens. I saw them as a, oh, this is a way to whip people into behavior, into helping the church. And one of the steps was you must give as a rule. Well, guess what? Those five things, worship, service, fellowship, all those things, they have value, but they are not the purposes of the church. They are the five natural overflowing activities that happen in a believer as you grow. You don't legislate those things. And that's where I've come from, from legislating those things to now seeing these as benefits to the body of Christ. That's where this topic comes in. Does that make sense? Okay, the big difference, it's, it's a major shift for me, it's, and it's scary to even talk about it. But I want us to grow naturally in spiritual growth. So let's take a look at this grace of giving. Now, you are, are, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ. We happen to meet as a little church called Hope Fellowship in Waterloo, Ontario. This is where this group meets. There are many other fellowships. There are individuals watching live from Africa, from wherever, from England, and you name it. It's crazy where people are actually watching from. I'm pleasantly surprised and encouraged by it. I just got an email this week from Australia. It's like, what? You know, so encouraged by what's happening here at Hope Fellowship. They are doing their own thing there. They are part of the body of Christ. It's worldwide. And each unique body functions differently. Okay? Each one does. But we are connected. We are part of the larger body around the world. And we have been conditioned in the West to do church a certain way, There are a whole bunch of ways to do church, folks. This is just one of them. And I think what's unique about Hope Fellowship, we kind of have the tradition as in the typical order of service, blah, blah, blah. Isn't that nice? And it has value. And it helps people who come check out the church. But it is not the only way to do church. We should be doing more pub nights and more coffee shop nights and hanging out with other people elsewhere. You know, golfing as a foursome church. I'm into that. I'm in, yeah. Bring that on, you know. See the Avengers movie night church. I'm into that. You know, like the way the the church, the people connect in relationships. And this church doesn't do relationships that great all the time. We're friendly on Sundays. But that's sometimes where we stop and go, I just haven't got time for anything else. Because life is so busy. And then we expect more when it's not happening. And we feel lonely. We're one body, part of the body of Christ. The Hope Fellowship, this location, our vision is this, to see people healed and, okay, healed and whole people who are free to be themselves in Christ. This is our vision. We want this for every single person. What's it going to look like? Well, I covered that in another sermon, so I don't want to get into that. But I want to remind us of our core reason why and why I'm teaching this message today. A very uncomfortable one. Our mission is to help people understand, believe, and experience the love of God. This is the crux of it. I do this in my own life, my own way. I do this through fire department chaplaincy and meeting firefighters and just saying hello. It's a ministry of presence when I do the chaplaincy stuff. I do it in my ministry in funerals. I love doing funerals. It throws off people when I say that. But I love doing funerals. I'd rather do a funeral over a wedding any day. You know, I, I, really, I do. Because the couple's just there to get married. You know, like, I do, I do, good kiss gun. You know, but in a funeral, there's loss. There is an openness 
to feel and experience the love of Christ without preaching. I can do it without preaching. I don't have to preach. I don't even have to even say Jesus. I just am light and encouragement to the families. You do that in your own places. You know, I watched Val. Where's Val? She's hiding. She's sitting over there. She, she goes to this one Starbucks location all the time. She's no, she, I think she used to work there. But she knows certain people. And she walks in, and there's the hello. There's, there's the, the connection of warmth. Each one of us does it in our own way. Wherever we go, we leave a thumbprint, an energy mark in people's lives. People can read your vibe. I had a lady come in here this week. She wanted to rent this place in September. And she said, boy, I really feel your energy. Don't laugh. I would have laughed five years ago. I would have, as a good religious person, or more religious, not recognizing the language and terminology of her world. She was sent, she called it energy. I'm calling it the light and life of Christ, who is energy. And ministered to her without even having to say a single word. There was a positiveness about how the conversation went. That was really cool. Don't throw these terms out, folks, especially if you've got a churchy background. Embrace a modern terminology and understand its true source is God. The true source is God. Not everybody can label it as God or the love of God. All right? So... What's with this grace gift of giving? How, how come it's a grace gift? What are you talking about? Well, I'm hoping by the time I'm done these two weeks that, yes, you've got to come back next week. All of you. Every single one of you. <laughs> it is a gift to us to, to be able to give in whatever circumstance we're in. Not just finances. I'm not talking about just finances, but, yes, we're going to be talking about that. So don't let that scare you. And if it's an uncomfortable topic, it might be because you've been misled about something in the past. There's a lot of texts in Scripture that have been mistaught. There's um, sayings and beliefs that have been pulled from Scripture, and we're told, well, that's what it means. And it's been wrong. Let me, let me give you an example. It has nothing to do with giving. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Be careful how you answer this. No, Dan, I'm not letting you answer. Because you, you, I know you know. He always gets the answer right. What's the, okay, here's it. What's the traditional reason? He, he was mentioning violence. Sex? Bad sex? Bad sex. <laughs> okay? So that was the typical, well, that's why they got destroyed, because of all their blah, 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 blah. What? What? If that's not true. But that's what we've been told all along. Here's the real reason Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, according to the story. Ezekiel 16, 49-50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They did not help the poor and needy. All along, I was told it's about some bad behaviors that were sins of the body, blah, blah, blah. The real problem was independence and not looking out for the cares of others. So if that's what we were told about Sodom, what about this topic of giving? What if we've been told the wrong thing about the motive and purpose of giving? 
It's very likely, and some of you here for sure have been exposed to faulty, faulty teachings. So how has given, giving uh, gotten a bad rap, bad rap? First of all, I think one of our most prominent things today are manipulating evangelists, the religious television and televangelists, etc. We've seen how they have manipulated people into giving. Buy this thing and you'll, you'll get blessed tenfold. It's got you know, a sliver of the cross, the original cross, the cross Jesus was buried on. There's a sliver in this little glass thingy and you have a, a little bit drop of the wine that Jesus had for communion. You can buy that too, only from us, for this price of $98.95 plus $200 shipping. Okay? Like, and if you want to give more, you get a tax receipt. Like, that kind of stuff, a clear manipulation bull. I can't stand that stuff. Drives me nuts. Because what happens is, they're authentically trying to fund their stuff. But I think they're deceiving. (sighs) I hate to say this word, but oh well. They're lying. They're not telling the truth about their motive for why they're asking for the support. Televangelists selling you something. The whole faulty incentives you give to get. If you give, God will give you a hundredfold. And they make this, here's your $100 donation. It'll turn into a thousand. And then they have four testimonies of people who had much more than that given to them. And it's, to me, it's like, seriously, I used to do sales, people. I know when I'm getting had. I, I know what it means to you know, find the routes to get people to say yes to stuff and close the deal. You know, I've done that. We give to get. That's the key motive, which is what our culture is. If I give, then God's going to give me. What a wonderful motive. That sounds so much like Jesus. Oh, no, it doesn't. Not at all. So when you hear those things please turn the channel. If you don't know the heart of the person already, turn off that crap. Don't listen to it. Because you're hearing lies. And enough lies, you might start to believe it after a while. That's what happens. Historical traditions have caused giving uh, to get a bad rap. Uh, some have paid for loved ones to come out of purgatory. <laughs> Seriously. That is a traditional, historical picture of what has happened in the church. You pay more money. Your loved ones, well, you'll shorten their time. Who gets to measure that, and how do you really know? Like, really? Really, 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 really? I'm just, ugh. Indulgences. You know, you're, you're, you, you, anyway, the whole historical crap load of stuff. I'm sorry for using that word, but crap stands for Christian rules and procedures. You do know that. Okay. It's the system that is corrupt. That's what I have a problem with. And I think that has given the authentic message of grace a bad name. That's why you see me compare sometimes. So you can see the stark difference. That's why I'm comparing history of giving to, to give you an idea. Mixing up the mission with the mansion. <laughs> that, that happens People are trying to build a big empire. And by the way, please do not mock the churches or ministries that have the super large stuff. Do I have a problem with some of them? Absolutely. But when I'm looking at that and judging and complaining, guess what I'm doing? Who are my eyes on and not on? 
they're on judging somebody, right and wrong, wrong tree, and not on Christ, who is my source guiding me individually to where I should focus my energy, time, and money. We can spend so much time calling out all the bad stuff we think is bad, but guess what? We have become the judges. Stop it. I know a large church in town. People have judged them negatively, but I know the heart of the pastor. I know the heart of the ministries there. They are, they are there to love and help people heal. Yet their building appears, oh, that's so big. Yeah, God has prospered them. Don't judge them. Please, stop judging. What does the word tithe mean? That's the big swear word, tithe. Are you a tithing church or a non-tithing church? Well, the idea of tithe comes from the word tenth, tithe. That's, that's where it comes from, just in case. Because we read that Abraham gave a tenth. But a tenth of what? Not his income. He went to battle and killed a whole slew of people and took all the goods. Sure, I'll give you 10%. That's what he did. Abraham. By the way, some people use Abraham's tithe, this thing, as a rationale for tithing. By the way, uh, for the record, tithing is an old covenant concept designed for Jews. Are you a Jew? Then it does not apply to you. Tithing is not a New Testament, New Covenant teaching. Anybody that hammers you with it uses it as a control thing to help the church grow financially and stabilize. Do you know how much easier it would be to, to make everybody sign something and say, please give, then I don't have to worry about money. It'd be easier. But then I, give, I tell people what to do, and they don't listen to the Spirit in them instead. Do you hear the difference? We're, to call, we're called to live from the Spirit. Here's, here's what the rationale of Abraham tithing comes from. Abraham is the father of all who believe, is the first thing we hear. Then Abraham paid his tithe. Remember that? Some of you will. Abraham paid the tithe. Oh, listen to this. Before the law was instituted, so therefore it is pre-law, and we must tithe. Hmm. Bit of a problem here. If you're going to cherry pick, Abraham provides the paradigm for tithing, then so we must also assume that the tithe is a one-off and paid from the spoils of war. Okay? If you're going to use Abraham as the tithe, he went to war, and he went once and gave to Melchizedek once. So that means if we're going to have to use tithing as the law or the rule, then we just do it once and we're done. Woohoo! Isn't that great? Okay. Oh, here's another one. This is even worse. If the pre-law argument validates tithing, then why do the same people not argue with the equal thing of circumcision? There's a new covenant requirement. It was pre-law. There was, there was, there was circumcision going on. Okay, do you see how awkward this is getting now? Okay. okay. So don't pull off the Abraham thing. The law was given, which included instructions on giving provision for the priesthood. That's why giving in the Old Covenant mattered. Eleven tribes worked and all gave to the twelfth tribe of priests, the Levites. They were not allowed to own land. The tithe was also meant for celebrations and feasts. So, by the way, just in case you didn't know, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel that were not allowed to own land. Their role was set aside. 
holy, set apart, holy. Same word. They were set apart to serve the people. By the way, this principle you'll learn next week is actually transferable in a unique way, and you'll have to wait to next week to hear my rationale on that. Don't you love that? You're going to find a way to make it legalistic. No, I'm not. I'm going to show you a beautiful paradigm of how this lesson hits us today. By the way, the tithe was actually meant for feasts. Oops, we said all that. The tithe, 10%, was meant for celebrations and feasts. And it sure added up to a whole lot more than 10%, by the way. If you want to go Old Covenant, if you want to go back to the law, and you want to, why, I wish we would do the tithing thing again. If you really want to do that, I'm going to warn you, your 10%'s cheap. The real tithe is anywhere known from 33 to 36% of your income off the top. Who wants to go back? Me, me, pick me. Really, really? By the way, they knew how to celebrate a whole lot better than we do. Their tithe, their giving, their sacrifices, it went to serve the priests and their families, their households. I'm sure they had big families. They're Jewish. You know, it just, it's the way it was. But they gave because they all participated as a common unity community. There's one culture that's still very vibrant today that I think understands community better than we do in the West, and it is the Japanese culture. The Japanese culture does not see individualism, me, serve me, me first, me first, especially when a crisis hits. They don't hit the stores and empty all the water bottles and all the toilet paper out of the stores immediately and and leave nothing for everybody else. They act as a community because we're one. When one hurts, all hurts. We don't get that. That's a harsh reality for us today if you think about that one. But this is the idea. This is where the tithe thing comes from, just in case you're wondering. Old covenant versus new covenant giving. Hmm. Old covenant was about obedience. It was about behavior, what you had to do. So under the old covenant, which is not written to you anyway, it's not. Can you learn from some of the principles? Yes, but it's not written to you. So you can't say you're under the old law, the old covenant. You were under grace, period. You're under the new covenant beautiful. But this is about what you had to do. It was heavily emphasized that when you obey, you're blessed. When you disobey, you're cursed. Yeah, if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. I just said that. All right. The new covenant was about Christ and what he did. Christ came and did it all, made you new. You are blessed. So you now function from the blessed life. Not from how little you have, people, We don't give from how little we have. We give from our blessedness. That's so backwards. I've never said that about in in a teaching on giving. No, that's a first for me. But it's real. We give from being blessed. An old argument versus new and old. Let's take a look at the comparison here. Tithing is a tip of the legalistic iceberg. So churches that teach tithing as a law, this is more about insurance. God will get me if I don't. I, listen, I grew up with this. When things weren't going well, my dad would always tell me when I lived at home, he said, so, how are your devotions? 
How's your quiet time with the Lord? And are you giving 10%? If not, you got a problem. Yes, that, that explains everything. You fix this, then all your problems go away. I know, I wish. <laughs> if it was only that simple, but that's the legalistic mindset. We don't do it from our abundance. We do it from, oh, no, God, you're gonna, are we going to be okay, God? You know, I better give to you because you're going to get me later. In fact, if I, I, I've, I've had flat tires. When I was younger, believing, oh, crap, I forgot to give on Sunday until God's getting his money back one way or another. So, who else has had this? Please, I'm not the only one. Who else has had that mentality? A small handful here. It's, an, it's a churchy crap rule that we've ingrained. It has to be come out of our system. It has to be purged out by truth. Or we do it as an investment. God will bless me if I do. So as I invest, I'll get 10% later. Or 100%. If I put 10% in, he'll give me 100% later. And all this investment my idea. So again, who's the center here? In both of them. Me. Not Christ. Not the one whom the money is being glorified with. Or, we are not under law, so I just don't have to give it all. This is a natural response for those coming out of legalism into grace. Oh, good. Oh, I don't have to give anymore. We got 10% more, honey. Woohoo! This is an unhealthy pendulum, and it's allowed. Did you hear that? It's allowed. Don't stay there. Don't stay at none. Because that's not how God wired you, which is what this message and series is all about. You have always been under grace. Therefore, don't eat from the wrong tree. Quit living under, I don't have to. And instead, think of, I get to now. All I have has been provided to me. Don't argue whether it's right or wrong. This is a good one. You don't have to argue whether giving is right or wrong. Because as soon as you do, guess what tree you're on? You're called to live from the life tree, not right and wrong. We can spend so much time be consumed. Is tithing right or tithing wrong? Is the principle of 10% giving healthy? Yes. And don't use the Bible as the rule, but as rather an example of principles of how one gives. It's a healthy goal. I've had people come up to me and say, I can't afford 10%. That's nuts. I can maybe do two. Fantastic. Give what your heart can give. Ask God to bring you up to the 5%, 10% level or more. By the way, 10% is pretty basic level. It's not generous giving necessarily. For some, it will be, depending on your income. Please, there are no rules here. There are no rules for this. It's beautiful. Love is the key. Love is the motivator. Love works in and through us. Do you hear it? Not a rule that says you must give, but love. And the more you grow in love, you will discover that what is not the issue is whether Christians should or should not give, but rather how we should give. Now that we know we are under grace and free from the law, the old covenant, it's not about should we give or shouldn't we, it's how and how much. God has created you as a giver, whether you like it or not. Giving as a response and a passion. Giving is a response and a passion. Response, giving thanks. Let me give you a couple examples. The leper was healed in uh, Luke 17. 
11 to 19, 10 lepers came. One came back and said, thank you to Jesus. It is a response. Now, wait a minute, there's nothing to do with giving there. Oh, yeah? It's the heart. The response, thank you, Jesus. That's giving thanks. Oh, oh, gotcha. Giving thanks. And there was much giving thanks. He was so thankful. Woman at the well, man, God touched her life through Jesus. And do you know what she did? She couldn't shut up. She ran to her village and told her people all about this Jesus who told her everything about her life. She was an evangelist. A woman who in those days doesn't happen, especially one with a really bad reputation. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was called down out of a tree. He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat with you today. <gasps> no way. I haven't got anything on right now. That's okay. Let's go. We're going to eat together. We're going to sup together. We're going to have fellowship together. And everybody else around here knows that by hanging out with you, I'm making a statement. Jesus was making a statement. And guess what happened? It turned Zacchaeus' heart. And what was his response? Did Jesus say, now that you're uh, loved by me, you must start giving? Did Jesus say that or imply that at all? Yes or no? No. So please, are you starting to hear? It's not about the have to, but get to. And Zacchaeus said, for those I've robbed, I will pay back whatever extra. His heart was give back. This is about community now. This is about loving everyone. This is unbelievable because it's so countercultural to our culture today of take me, 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 me first. These are the responses. The passion. Your response is part of giving, but your passion. It is who you are, how you were created. You have been created as a generous person. How do I know this? And yes, every single person listening or in this room, you are a generous person. I don't care how stingy you are. And how much of a tightwad you may be, how frugal you may be, I don't care. You're a generous person. Because Jesus is one with you. And Jesus is generous. And he will express his generosity through you, through your personality, his way. Ask him what it's to look like. There isn't a rule. Isn't that good news? Be who you are. You are one with Christ. Be it. Find the encouragements in the scriptures and we will explore these. I'm going to show you a bunch of verses. I'd like these scriptures to speak to your heart. One or two of them might hit you. Be ready because I don't think, well, we can't finish today. It's impossible. But there's some really, really great texts that lead to the encouragement for us to become giving people. And by the way, if I don't remember to do this because I didn't have it in my notes and it just hit me now, rabbit trail. Giving. It does not mean you have to give everything to your local church. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Although I will say, if you are eating and enjoying the fellowship of your local church, give to it first. But also give to the other places. If you're listening to an online teacher and you're getting fed by them regularly... Give to them. Don't be a cheapo and take, 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 take. Oh, praise the Lord, that was good. Take, take, take. Don't do that. God has put them in their place so you are fed. Give something, something. This is the mark of an abiding believer. Generosity. 
Does that make sense? Good. Thank you. Next. Encouraged to give throughout scriptures. Let's take a look at a few. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. Glorify God with all your wealth, honoring him with your very best, or first fruits, with every increase that comes to you. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessing from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Is this a law? The answer is no, just in case somebody thinks it might be. But it's old covenant, so it's Proverbs. Wise sayings. Cross-cultural. Okay? Like, this is a really simple one. By the way, if you talk to any financial planner, they will always talk to you about saving and a giving part of your budget and then the rest of your budget. There's always a giving generously budget to charities. Why would that be? Because it is a healthy principle. What the church has done wrong is they've used it as the club to make you and force you into supporting their programs. But yet, this is a principle that's so healthy. Not from leftovers, by the way. First fruits. By the way, this is not a brag. This is a transparent thing. In my family budget, it's, I think, the first or second item. I think it might even be the first because my dad did teach me, well, even though he was trying to use it as a legalistic thing, I caught the heart of it. And my giving part of my family budget is the top thing. And I don't give just to Hope Fellowship. I have a few places I give. So, <laughs> that's, I'm just saying, it's not just about being forced and having to listen to a pastor or a church legislate it. This is about the Spirit of Christ showing you. Do, do, have I made my point? 1 Corinthians 16, from the Passion Translation. Now concerning the collection, I want you to take for God's holy believers in Jerusalem who are in need. And they're talking, yes, they're talking about the needs in Jerusalem. But this was happening in other places too. Um, I want you to follow the same instructions I gave the churches of Galatia. See, this is uh, an instruction he gave. Not a rule, not a law, but an instruction saying, look, please do this. It's for the good of the body of Christ. Law has punishment attached to it. Instruction and rule, uh, um, uh, commands, the correct word is command, these commands are for the benefit of you and me and the whole body. It's a big difference. Every Sunday, each of you make a generous offering by taking a portion of whatever God has blessed you with and place it in safekeeping. Then I won't have to make a special appeal when I come. When I arrive, I will send you your gift, your gift to the poor in Jerusalem along with a letter of explanation carried by those whom you approve. There's a principle of setting something aside. Not in December necessarily, although some people, they give, and in December, it's wonderful. Jen, Jen, Jen is surprised when we get some year-end donations and suddenly our budget comes back up. It's like, what? It's pretty exciting. But having the regular support for whatever you're part of and what you're committed to, there's a pattern here. Again, the early church was forming. They're practicing how to be a church. There was no manual. There was no four-video series on how to be a church back then. They were learning how to become, and they, they screwed up, and they got things right, and they passed on the things they got right, and, and warned about things that didn't go well. Like, they're figuring it out. I love that. Practice that. 
2 Corinthians 8. Beloved ones. I love this. Beloved ones. Reminding them who they were. We must tell you about the grace of God poured out upon the churches of Macedonia. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy from the depths of their extreme poverty. Superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity. This is a church in deep despair. We haven't got any money. We're, we're sorry, we just don't. But God was allowing them to become joyful because he was the source of joy. And they felt even more generosity with whatever they had. They didn't talk about an amount. There's no amount written here. It's not about an amount. It's about the heart of generosity. First fruits. Thinking of others, not self. I think it's better. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. I have never, ever, ever, ever seen that. Please, can I give? <laughs> I don't see people rushing. Where's that? Where's the usher? I want to throw some money in the bag. Oh, where's that? I've never seen that. If you, it's just funny. Sometimes this hits me when I'm reading it. Okay, never mind. All right. Focus, Daniel San, focus. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing this ministry of giving to God's holy people who are living in poverty. They exceeded our expectations by first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us. That's key. This has to do with your heart and your response to your Heavenly Father. If your life is so focused on self-preservation, you cannot live an extravagant, abundant life. The abundant life comes from the overflow of Christ in us. Christ is in you, and he wants out, out through your body in actions. Powerful. You will do well and excel in every respect, in unstoppable faith. So it's not just about giving. It's about growing in unstoppable faith, in powerful preaching, in revelation knowledge, in your passionate devotion, and in sharing the love we have shown to you. So make sure that you also excel in grace-filled generosity. Everyone has capacity for this. Everybody does in their own way. Some give of time, some of finances. Money is a tough topic, people. Do you know how awkward it is for me up here? Really awkward. Since, I, For one, being a beneficiary of the budget items here at Hope Fellowship. And next week, I'm going to show you what that can look like according to Scripture. Because I found some beautiful verses that gives me permission to say, Folks, I get to challenge you guilt-free. I'm not trying to manipulate I'm trying to say, hey, do you love the passion and heart of the message that we're sharing here at Hope Fellowship? Then give to it. If you're watching, give, donate. Put in, respond to this good news. Next week, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 9. There's, I've only got 12 pages left, so we're, we're pretty good. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll finish just fine next week. This whole topic of giving... I hope you've heard by now, and I hope I've made it clear. It's not about a rule. This is about recognizing your identity. 
and recognizing how God has created us, how he's created the church to function together, how he's designed it to function. And I think we have a lot to learn as a church family of how God wants to work in this location, in this group. How we are all to participate in connecting, serving one another, loving one another. I hope next week I can wrap this up in a beautiful way and and, and show you a, a, a much better grace-filled perspective on giving than we may have heard in the past. I don't have a hammer or a club to bang anybody over the head with. Instead, I want to I almost kneel like this and say, look, I want to serve you. I serve as much as I can to this church family because I love you guys. I really do. But I can only do so much. And I can be misread way too many times. What's God telling you in your heart about serving one another in love and in generosity? Let that sink in and let's see what happens next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I've given up my right to be understood properly because people will mistake in me. They will misunderstand, misinterpret, twist my words, possibly. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe your Holy Spirit is, is the great interpreter and will clarify everything. Father, may we become a very generous family. Not just so the church can flourish financially, but that we can become a center that's focused on the kingdom of God in this community and spreading the kingdom of God. Whatever that looks like. This is a creative and unique church family. Will you give us wisdom? And will you pour the finances into this church so we can do the things you're inspiring us to do? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.